Hello, I'm Christopher Powell, Executive Director of Pittsburgh Festival Opera. And I'm Marianne Cornetti, International Songbird and Artistic Director of the Pittsburgh Festival Opera. Welcome to Unstaged, the Pittsburgh Festival Opera's new podcast. We're excited to share our insights and stories and our hopes for the future of opera from our perspective behind the scenes and backstage. So won't you join us on this adventure as we dive into the wonderful world of opera and all of the facets this gem has to offer all of us. Welcome back to Unstaged. We had so much fun in our first episode, we had to divide it up into two episodes. So welcome back to episode two of our staff roundtable, where we're discussing how did we survive and how we thrived uh, through this pandemic. Marianne? This summer, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but Rob, why don't you tell us just Give a little bit of what's going on for our Young Artist Program and what we're involved in. and We're making a movie. Oh, my goodness <laughs> sakes. Really, how exciting real, is that? You know, I mean, but I, I mean, that, that's, that's fun to say. Um, but actually, we are making the first recording and also a film on location of Mark Adamo's Lysistrata. Um, which is one of uh, second opera. You might know the name Mark Adamo from the opera Little Women, um, which w- was incredibly successful and is is went straight into the repertoire. Uh, but Mark actually has a particular fondness for Lysistrata, and it just feels like it's opera. Uh, it's time is now. So uh, Mark is very much on board. Mark will actually be working with the singers of remotely and even and even uh, pop in from Santa Fe where he's having another premiere uh, um, uh, to to help coach the singers. Uh, but we're just really excited about again. Again, as Ian was saying before, we're stretching um, the skill set uh, bridging the world of I stand here and somebody tells me where to stand and what to do. And this is how I sing in the hall to you're going to sing that way and we're going to record it. And then we're going to film you and you have to understand how, how it is to act in front of the camera as opposed to a football field away from the back of the house. Um, and I'm just incredibly excited about that. And it's an amazing piece of music. I'm just, I can't believe that people aren't hearing this piece regularly. So Exactly. And I'm kind of excited about putting together a, a red carpet movie premiere. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we have, we've done plenty of galas and, and, and really great fun events for our audiences. But a red carpet movie premiere, I mean, come on. That's I, I think we need a swag bag committee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, and a fruit basket. And no fruit basket. No fruit baskets for no. sure. But this is the part of the thriving part. We have survived, but but we are really thriving. Who would have thought a year ago we would be making a movie with one of the most prolific composers of today? And then he's coming to Pittsburgh to 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 be involved in it. Whoa, we're living the dream, gang. 
I mean, that's it's the awesome. that's the silver lining of the pandemic, right? It, like with all the tragedy that has occurred, opera itself has needed some sort of change to it. You know, it's it's such a wonderful art form that has lived in a museum for the hundreds of years and it's never really evolved past that. And I think this year has been so crucial to the identity of opera and how we see it, how we, how we imbibe it, how we take it in all of these different forms that it's finally evolving. And it's not just for rich old white people, uh, that can afford hundred plus dollar tickets. You know, it's, it is for everybody. It was created to be for everybody. And it, I think this year has been so amazing for the art form period. It has been. And when you think about when you do create a movie, how many thousands can we touch? Instead of just touching here, which is wonderful in itself, we want to, we want to touch our communities and whatnot. But when you think about how many people are out there that we are able to, to touch and reach. It's phenomenal. It's very, very, very exciting. Actually, you know, the when we think about uh, one of our next podcasts, I hope all of our listeners uh, really do tune in because one of our podcasts really will be the difference between just the production of an opera and then the filming of an opera, not the filming of the production, but making that movie and how different our director, Derek Brown, has had to think through all of that. You know, when you're in person, it's a whole different ballgame, right, Ian? Absolutely. It's, it's you know, the, the, the script and all of this that it goes into making a film, it's totally different than putting an opera on the stage. Absolutely. And plus, you know, if you think about it, you have uh, many of the same parameters as stage, right? You have everything that's, that's being looked at, but then you add these new ways to tell the story, which is uh, the way that the camera is interacting with the subject, the way that it's being edited, all, all these different ways. Um, it's just going to enrich the experience so much for the audience. See, that's a really important angle to look at because a lot of people who are um, seeing the Met broadcast, for example, they're seeing the filming of something that's been staged. And when a film is, like Lysistrata is coming, it is made for film, not, not for the stage to be filmed. Absolutely. And so I was kind of concerned, uh, you know, when, when you think about it, you know, making a movie, do you lose that intimacy of the live opera experience, you know, the, the experience of the live voice. And, um, you know, during a pandemic, you know, it, the choice is clearly obvious what you have to do, but looking to the future, what are the benefits of, uh, of, of filming opera to be a film? And can you, can you realistically, or um, what is your, what are your feelings about creating that intimate experience of, of hearing a singer and almost like sing for you? How does that translate from film to live? And um, I'm really curious as to, you know, your thoughts on that. Well, I'm going to say there is 
nothing that compares to live. There just isn't. It is what it is. It, you get the, the, the energy in the room. You feel that. But when we made our, our Cendrillon, that was brilliantly done, Ian, by you and Rob, how that was all put together. You really felt as though you were in that that area that they I mean it wasn't it didn't look as though you were just watching something. It it felt as though you were pulled into that. I don't know how you did that. I, I don't know. It just didn't look like a film to me, but it pulled me right into it. And I think that there's something about that kind of we probably will continue to go on this way because we never want to lose. We'll never go back. We always want to continue with our virtual, whether it's virtual in a film or virtual in some other way. Uh, I think we will continue with that for sure. We, as this company, who's, I, I don't know, maybe we're going to be the Pittsburgh Festival Opera Film and Opera Company, you know, coming down the road. I don't know. Well, and I mean, the thinking of filmed opera versus live and like I said at the beginning that's one thing that we just kind of accepted at the beginning we can't replicate live theater uh nor do you I mean movie musicals are a thing right in the heights uh is dropping or about to be dropped mm -hmm. uh you know it, those are it, in itself its own genre of of thing it's you know nothing beats going to a broadway show to me it's the best in the world but you get to i grew up in rural michigan and i couldn't go to new york i saw my first broadway show at 18 but i was able to the 10th anniversary les mis i was able to see it i i got to see all of these wonderful things living in rural michigan that i would have never gotten to and i think accepting that it's not it's not replicating live opera it's not replicating live theater uh it is in and of itself its own subclass or subgenre of opera well i think too when you're talking about it from the angle of trying to amplify work you know accessibility is key to getting an introduction into a genre or into an art form right so to your point you know maybe that could have been the the thing that you got excited about that very first time and then you delved more into that. So I do think that there is a really important space here for keeping a virtual component. And I hope a lot of other um, art forms recognize that, that this moment was transformative in the past year for so many people in so many ways, but also into embrace where, we're, where we are, where we're going and to say, you know, we can't return that place that we were pre-pandemic. It doesn't exist anymore. And so to take on this new um, this new way of thinking about art and to incorporate the virtual aspect as now just a part of your new, you know, season, I think is important to just keeping it alive. Yeah. I, I also think that we'll probably see sort of hybrid things happen where, you know, I mean, a hundred more years ago, uh, Alban Berg put film into uh, Lulu 
on stage. And it was, you know, it, it was actually a palindromic film, just like the music and very, very complicated. And to a lot of people, that is alienating. And so this kind of, of hybrid work that uses live electronics and this and that has been largely relegated to the experimental and the avant-garde that then got associated with high intellectualism. And don't get me wrong, I'm down for some really hardcore, crusty, uncomfortable, intellectual new music. <laughs> it's part of my life. But I also understand why that doesn't fly very well in a 1,500, 2,000, 2,500 seat hall. It can be hard to even perceive just because of the distance. Uh, and also, the technology has taken quite a while to get to the place where the tipping point is now passed, partly because of some of the nudges that it got uh, during the pandemic to get to the place where we could actually devise something that is a live performance that includes um, pre-filmed, pre-recorded, even interactively performed um, material. Uh, and it's not just experimental anymore. And certainly what we're doing, having just gone ahead and taken that big breath and gone head first <laughs> over the cliff, is we've gotten past the fear. And the learning curve um, has been has been kind of just sped up to the point where you know, we we can figure out what to do next. But I think I think that um the ability to bridge the gap between an audience that's accustomed to watching things with their headphones on on their iPads. Uh, <clears throat> I I'm sure that I'm not one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> um uh you know, to to then understand how that opens up into this wonderful live performance and what the theatricality is gained uh, what theatricality you gain from watching that live um, performance that is not realist in terms of you know I'm watching it on set on, on a movie set so so this new component of Pittsburgh Festival of Opera making a film out of Mark Adamo's Liza Strada. There must be, Ian and Lindsay, there must be so many pieces of this puzzle that the so-called normal opera singer would not really even understand what it's taking to make this film as an opera. Ian or Lindsay, would you like to add who's involved, uh, how we're getting there, how we're going to get this done? I don't know, Ian, are we going to get this done? No, we're going to get it done. <laughs> uh, I think the biggest component, not only it, Ian being on board, who is awesome, but uh, the biggest thing is that we are bringing in Lynn Squilla, who has been a friend of Pittsburgh Festival Opera for many, many years, but who is also a Pittsburgh-based producer, worked with Fred Rogers, worked with Mark Rylands, Emmy-winning uh literally the coolest person you'll ever meet. Uh, she is going to be on board to produce. And, you know, she has been instrumental in helping guide us through this world of film and television. And we're incredibly lucky to have her on our team. Absolutely. And I mean, uh, she also just brings so many other talented people to the table. Uh, one of the, the key players in all of this is uh, 
a person named Jim Ledoux, who we're going to hopefully be meeting soon in a, a, a future episode. Uh, but Jim's a fantastic cameraman and director of photography uh, based in Pittsburgh, but he's worked all over the world. And he's just going to be bringing lots of experience and knowledge to, to help us along the way. Can you explain a little bit of the storyboard that Derek Brown is having to make as a film? Sure. I mean, um, you know, Derek's been so great in, in adapting. He's gone from a stage director and, and, you know, we've talked about now we have Cameron editing all these other things. And now he has to learn how not only, you know, what these are, but his job and how to incorporate them in the planning process, which is uh, he's just been doing phenomenally with. But, you know, he has to sit down and think through not just the blocking, but the location that everything is going to take place at, all of the different camera angles that he's going to want. Um, you know, he's, he has to start thinking ahead about how it's going to be edited together. And, you know, are there going to be problems if we have these two shots which aren't going to look right um, because maybe the, the angles are going to be wrong. It's going to be a little bit too uh, disorienting for the audience. All these different things he's now having to start to think about and to have, try to put that in a, a document that can be translated to an entire crew uh, on set so that everything goes smoothly. Ian, when you take a shot of, and the only reason I know this is I watched our Cendrillon and how you put that together. Just the mere fact that somebody is coming through a door, how many shots do you have to take? You have to take the person at the door going through the door. These are all separate shots. Yep, correct? all separate shots. And then on the other side, you have to see the person coming through the door. Is that correct? You have to correct? see them coming through the door and you have to make sure that they're moving the right way, that they have someone, something in their hand that it's still in maybe the left hand or something like that. Um, it's a, a lot of attention to detail and a lot of playing beforehand. Um, so you're not just trying to make it up because on the spot because you'll forget it. Um, so there's, a you know, it's um, a lot more time than you would ever think for one minute scene uh, could take hours to shoot because of all the different angles they'll need. Do you know, that's what's so interesting as I'm sitting here listening to this. As an opera singer who's been on the stage, one night you do something some way, and then the next night you may do something just a little bit different, differently. In film, that's impossible. Yeah. You cannot do it. You have to do it as it's been rehearsed uh, or it won't work. Incredible. That's that's putting singers in a real box. And that makes me nervous. I mean, sitting here, I'm starting to get like, oh, 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 you know, a little bit of palpitations because we are every day we change every day. We feel a little bit differently. So, you know, you might give a little bit more. You might. As the third performance, uh, you feel a little bit more comfortable, you might be out there on stage and give a little bit more in a different way. And when you're doing a film, you just can't. It has to be as it is, or it 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 just won't it won't work. It's going to be very, very interesting for our young artists, Rob, uh, to have them understand that. Um, because it is it's sort of like you're in a little bit of a straight jacket kind of feeling, mm -hmm. don't you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, they'll have to listen to it like you do to the original Broadway cast album of, you know, but uh, uh, and and 
when they sing it, we we will uh, make opportunities for that to happen when we record it, for it to happen spontaneously so that they can sing with their full expression and not be locked into um, the click track, you know, for, for the most expressive places. But when they film it, they'll have to know their own performance as it's in the in the can, so to speak. Um, so it'll be a new it'll be a new thing for them and to learn it like you do when you sing your favorite song on the radio. You know how Neil Diamond does that phrase every time, right? So you can sing along. So it'll be a challenge, but they're they're, they're up for it, I promise. Well, and that is that's something that that is very important uh, for you because you have to understand the singer. Yeah. You have to first put the track down. Mm-hmm. No, you have to send a track that's a rehearsal track. Is that correct? Yes. Walk us through all of that because it's not one process. It's a bunch of processes. Right. Well, I mean, you know, I set it up in, in, my, in my computer, in my DAW, as we say, <laughs> um, so that I can adjust the tempo even down to the beat or semi-beat and... and um, even when I make the first performance, the first pass through, I'm thinking about where does the singer breathe? What is the language here? Where is there some some rubato and push and pull and try to to invite that kind of live musicality from them? And then they'll work with it and then say, you know, this is great, but could it be two ticks slower? And can I take a breath here? And what if we retard here and we go back and forth? Uh, and, you know, they'll... They have to rehearse, they have to practice, and then they can even send me trying to sing along with the track, and I can go, oh, yeah, that's not a good idea. Let's change that. Do you know, it reminds me of a how many times in opera a conductor will say, no, cut off on the first beat. And inevitably, in a performance, the tenor holds until the next bar, holds longer, or the soprano holds the high note forever. And here... That's impossible right. to do. Right. There's none of that sloppy singing going on, you know, <laughs> yeah. that that people will do in a performance sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. they won't cut off together. It's all very, very uh, much together and, and rehearsed. Yes. This yeah. is where I think there's a huge challenge, obviously. But in sometimes in film... You know, they're still improvisatory films. You know, I, I keep thinking of the really funny ones, you know, like like the best in show and, the, you know, the, where they're actually making up the dialogue as they go. But, you know, I'm sure there's a shot they have in mind and you have to fill that shot with something. Is there an element of that kind of improvisational film that can actually be put into um, a filmed opera so that you can get that sort of live spontaneous um, the way you feel the music even though you're laying down tracks and I mean it, it sounds really really complicated to me um you know I mean I think I think that what what does happen when you do it this way is that the singer in the filming portion of things will be free of having to worry about certain things like my teacher told me that I can't bend my neck in a certain way and I have to hold my jaw right here. And, you know, and I think that um, there will can be a physical freedom to the presence in the frame, in the shot. Um, and I'm sure that, that Derek will have some very specific things that need to happen on certain beats, just like we do on the stage. But um, a lot of that, in, a lot of, I think, the improvisation can happen in the reactions, just like in, you know, Marianne, you know, from being on stage, 
a huge part of the success of your performance isn't the face you make while you're singing. It's the body that responds to, you know, when uh, it's revealed to you that that uh, what Asachana actually did, <laughs> right? Oh, you know, absolutely. It's, it's not just the sound that you make. Uh, it's the way that you inhabit the space in between the sounds that you make. And so I think in that way, um, we'll be able to push the singers to actually think about their physical relationship to the other characters in the frame because they won't have to just think about, I got to make sure that I'm at least three quarter out so that I can be heard. So it's, it's a great question and it remains to be seen how it plays out. Stay well, tuned. and, and the wonderful thing about this is we're in person yeah. and you can feel the person breathing and you can, you can, mm-hmm. they will get that sense. Whereas our, in, in our Cendrillon, it was individually done. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference there. So this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, again, it is, it's a testament to how creative this staff is. Uh, and we, have, we will continue to persevere through still this pandemic, but we're on getting to the other side of it. But my goodness, what we have done in in a year's time is is truly truly incredible and i thank you all for being here and uh onwards and upwards you've been listening to unstaged pittsburgh festival opera's hopes for the future of opera from our perspective backstage and behind the scenes unstaged the podcast is produced by natalie bensavenga and is engineered and edited by ian Cramond. For more episodes, information on the Pittsburgh Festival Opera's upcoming season, and access to digital content, visit pittsburghfestivalopera.org for more details.